Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Lee Radford on ABC Radio Adelaide. Good morning. If you've just joined us this Saturday morning, it is Talkback Gardening on ABC Radio Adelaide. Lee Radford and John Lamb with you. So much to talk about this morning, John Lamb, and what a wonderful weekend for gardening. It's going to be fine and 29 today, sunny and 31 degrees tomorrow, and then the rest of next week, John, pretty much the same until it creeps up to about 34 next Friday. So, Good gardening weather, I reckon. Yes, good gardening levers. Uh, so, good morning, Lee. Good morning, gardeners. And I suspect many gardeners will spend this weekend probably mopping up after the hot, hot weather that we've yes. had. And the question is, is that the end of the hot weather? Maybe not, but at least maybe not heat waves. And so that might encourage people to put in a second crop of uh, vegetables, summer vegetables, which we uh, might sort of revisit in this morning's program. But let's... Look at that theme of growing fruit and vegetables, and our guest very shortly will be hmm. uh, one of our top uh, award-winning master landscapers, Jamie McIlwain, and he's going to talk a little bit about uh, the Harvest uh, Garden Festival and also how you can integrate your vegetable garden and your fruit and vegetable garden with the rest of the landscape. And stay tuned because a little later on in this hour we're giving away a couple of our Gardening Australia magazines as well. I'll give you the good oil a little bit later on when to ring in if you're uh, interested in getting one of these wonderful Gardening Australia magazines. And, John, uh, I think this morning we've answered the question fairly comprehensively already about whether people are going to take advantage of the conditions and plant more, and they're saying they are on the text line. But the other thing that I'm curious about is people's perceptions about what sort of weather we're having. What was January like here in Adelaide? What 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 is your perception of how warm or otherwise it's been? Because I'm not sure that my perception actually lines up with the reality, John Lamb. Would you believe our temperatures are one degree above average? The average is 28, so, uh, and that's probably what's happening with climate change. Most of our average, uh, the months are coming in round about a, a degree above average. Mm. Now, bear in mind, we've just come through a La Nina when it should typically be much, much cooler than uh, normal. Uh, it's coming in still above average. I honestly, that belies my experience. I reckon at home, John. For instance, in the last, in the last number of days, we've just had these cold southeasterlies blowing. Thursday morning, when we went out to walk dogs early in the morning, it was just a tad over seven degrees at half past six in the morning. But with that wind chill, it was three point five, and we had winter coats and beanies on on the what was it, the nineteenth of January. I couldn't believe it. Yes, put that down in the record book. (laughs) And it just means that, uh, okay, records uh, and averages are important, but they're not the be-all. And to have an average, you can have extremes. Yes, that's true. Lots of extreme hot hot weather and uh, very, very cold weather. And people say at the end, oh, ho-hum, it was just an average month. (laughs) Now, if you'd like to join in the program this morning and ask questions, either of John or our special guest, Jamie, this morning, one three hundred triple two eight nine. One is our telephone number. The text line zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one. Time to introduce Jamie, I think, John. Yes, one of our 
joys in, in gardening is to be invited to have a wander around somebody else's garden and look at uh, how creative they've been. And you have a lovely landscape there until you get to the backyard. And then <laughs> there's the fruit and the veggies. And uh, I won't say it's an eyesore, but it's a little bit... Uh, um, Less people, attractive. Yeah, <laughs> menagerie, I think, is a good word, where you have a, a collection of different kind of plants and structures, and it's putting it together so it looks like the rest of the garden. Jamie McIlwain is one of our top landscapers here in South Australia. He's a multi-award winning uh, uh, landscaper and at this stage I'll say good morning Jamie and how many awards did you win at the last uh, 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 Master Landscaper Awards? Well good morning John and Lee it's a pleasure to be with you and all the listeners. Um, yeah we're well, very uh, fortunate last year to uh we had three gardens in and they won uh numerous awards and were well, more than i expected anyway so it was a it was a real treat and i'm still pinching myself about that one yes and uh, jamie runs hills classics gardens and if you want to see some beautiful gardens go onto the website you've got some beautiful gardens and one of them is is yours yes after uh 18 years of toiling away at my own property i finally uh, uh decided to uh open it this year uh, with, oh, sorry, last year uh, with Open Gardens SA and I thought while I'm getting it ready to open I might as well uh, put it up for scrutiny for the awards and uh, yeah I think um, it was uh, the results it got were uh, very um, very pleasing for all, all involved. Including the fruit and vegetable section and we'll come back to that but uh, you are organising, one of the chief organisers of the uh, Garden Harvest Festival What's that about? Yeah, well, there's a um, a very uh, a, a, a subcommittee from Open Gardens SA um, uh, have put together over the last two years the Harvest Garden Festival. It's essentially a special event that Open Gardens SA have put on, uh, and we we f we felt that there was a real. Uh, resurgence i suppose an interest in growing your own and this um really peaked during the the lockdown covid times and there uh, is such a wonderful community of people who 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 uh grow their own food and are happy and willing to share uh what they have done their successes and failures and talk to the garden loving public of uh uh, South Australia about um, about their gardens. It's a wonderful opportunity, as you say. There are many people that are, love to grow their own fruit and vegetables, but they would like to know a little bit more and to be able to talk to people who have already done it. How many gardens will be open and where will they be? Yeah, well, we've we've selected uh, essentially twelve gardens all over Adelaide, from the coast to the hills. So there's uh, there's a, a few over uh, Semaphore Nova Gardens. Um, Flinders Parkway, um, a few around Adelaide, um, uh, uh, Unley Park, and um, then we up up into the hills. We've got uh, a few in um, a couple in uh, Allgate, Stirling, Mylor, and then we've got two fabulous gardens in Strathalbyn. So they stretch sort of far and wide across uh, across Adelaide. 
And they'd be all types of uh, fruit and veggie type yep. gardens. Yep. So we've, we've got an uh, incredible selection of gardens. There are very small gardens. We've got a couple of um, garden owners who are renting their, their, their places. Uh, we've got a, a, a two-acre sanctuary of, 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 uh, of, of fruit-growing um, madness up in Mylor, which is just a, a, a stunning garden. Um, we've got two community gardens. And they've got uh, a lot of uh, extra activities, talks, etc., which is all on the website. Um, a couple of there's a few professionally designed and built gardens, and everything in between. So big, small, um, uh, you name it, it's uh, it's in there. And we'll talk a little bit more about how people can be part of this and, yes. and uh, uh, join in on uh, the information. But uh, our guest is Jamie McIlwain, one of our top landscapers. And Lee, perhaps uh, very shortly, if people have got questions, we'd certainly like to hear from them. Indeed. And one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the telephone number if you'd like to speak to Jamie. one three hundred triple two eight nine one. You can always text, although we do give preference to the callers. The text line zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one. Now, we do have a caller on the line, John, so shall we go to... Uh that now or uh, perhaps I wouldn't mind just talking to Jamie sure. a little bit about uh, uh, integrating the fruit and the veggie sections into the landscape it's uh, a concept that people think about but doing it is not always easy Jamie you and your master landscapers have figured out how you can actually integrate uh, your fruit and your veggie garden with the rest of the garden the landscape so it all looks beautiful is there some basic principles that we need to take on board? Look, there are, and look, unfortunately, there are so many varied, uh, or, or varied um, situations whereby people might have big gardens or small gardens or courtyard gar- courtyard gardens, or in fact, you know, no no soil to grow anything in the ground at all. So uh, there is certainly. Um, uh, different ways of going about it. Um, firstly, uh, the, the seasonal produce that we put in the ground, things like you know your lettuces and basils that come and go. Look, they. You were talking before about gardens looking ugly. Plants wax and wane, and vegetables wax and wane quickly. So that's what gives them um, a not so good looking appearance. Usually, in a, around sort of the March, April, when things are being producing and being busy over summer and then they're looking quite ragged by that by that time of the year um so combining plants that wax and wane like our quick picking things uh like i said our you know bok choys and asian greens and lettuces and basils combining them with more permanent uh things like you know rosemaries or 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 thyme or edible hedges like bay um whether they be, you know, as a hedge or in a pot, they could be taperized. You can combine some more permanent structure in the garden to diffuse the look of just uh, those, you know, the seasonal stuff that we love to pick and eat, just, um, come, you know, coming and going. So you're, you're suggesting that uh, you mix them up rather than uh, uh, using your... Uh herbs uh, as a hedge to hide the garden you're saying don't hide it integrate it yeah well if you've got the space you could certainly you know instead of having a, a you know a, a bucks's hedge as a border you could you could grow something like a i don't know a chilean guava or even parsley or thyme um 
if you've got a uh, if you've got plants in the garden, you can most certainly integrate things like um, rosemary, for instance. I mean, it would absolutely kill me to have to go to the supermarket to buy rosemary when it's so easy to grow. I mean, that's that's you know everyone should have a rosemary bush in their mm. in their in their in their garden somewhere, whether it be a prostrate form or just normal officinalis, the the bog standard rosemary. So, integrating some of those plants in your garden. Um, can look quite good. Even things like artichokes, even if you don't like artichokes, the artichoke plant looks absolutely stunning with their big leaves, their big blue thistle flowers and all the all the beneficials that they, they uh, attract are uh, uh, supremely beneficial to the garden. So you're saying integrate, uh, mix up the fruit... And the, the, can you do that with fruit trees? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can you can screen a fence with fruit trees. You can, you know, spalier is a word that is bandied around. You don't have to spalier things. You can grow things as a hedge. Um, uh, things like you know, apples, pears. They're easy to grow. Um, pomegranates, um, fabulous hedges, bays, olives. Even um, even if you don't want to, don't like olives. There's some there's some new olives on the market that are more bred for um, you know being hedging or structural plants like uh, plants like Bambolina and Olivia, which are such fabulous, tough, tough plants that are so suited to our environment here in South Australia that give you a permanent screen and give you that sort of herby, veggie kind of feel in your garden, whether you use it as a, as a, as a hedge to disguise the vegetable garden from the house or on the fence line to maybe diffuse your neighbour's you know, roofline perhaps. And these concepts that you're talking about, that's what will be on display in this garden harvest festival yeah absolutely so the the 12 in fact there's 13 gardens but um the the gardens um the the people who are opening their garden are incredible gardeners for a start and they've had successes and failures and going there and seeing what they've done and how they've used plants whether it um be to um create shade or screen something um and all these plants are uh, are useful in that edible realm. You're hearing the voice of Jamie McGowan, who's our special guest on Talkback Gardening this morning with John Lamb and Lee Radford. It's coming up to 18 minutes past nine. John, we've got a few callers on the line. Shall we start taking a few of those now? Please do. And I'm Jamie, I'm sure, is more than happy to talk landscaping. It doesn't have to be about fruit and vegetables and uh, having uh, a beautiful uh, landscaped fruit and vegetable section if you've got a, a gardening question that involves landscaping jamie is the wonderful He's opportunity the to, to give you an answer one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the telephone number the text line zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one jeff's been waiting very patiently on the telephone line from hawthorne good morning jeff uh, good morning john and lee Who, john he... i've got a question about uh, tommy toe tomatoes I've uh, got a couple of bushes that the, the tomatoes are fairly well formed, but they're about two-thirds of the size that they should be. They're quite green, and they've just been sitting on the bush for three or four weeks now. They're not getting any bigger. They don't want any new tomatoes coming onto the bushes. Just wondering if there's any way I can accelerate it. Very difficult. Um, if they're... Green, but they're not ripening, that is the situation. That's right. Yeah. Um, what have you done in terms of nutrition? Well, I've been putting a liquid fertiliser on. I, I probably shouldn't give you the brand name, but no. <laughs> I've been putting, it on, <laughs> been putting it on every couple of weeks according to the instructions. Yeah, okay. And it seems to be reasonably well balanced from All what right. I can see. Yeah, it, it's balanced in terms of nutrition, probably a bit low in potash. 
And mm-hmm. I would suggest that uh, if you put on some potash now, um, sulfate of potash, uh, interesting, there are two brands of uh, uh, seaweed available. One is a powdered form and the other is a liquid form. Now, the powdered form, if you read the screed on the label, you'll find it's got an extraordinary high quantity of potash. And that's one way of getting potash on is using the powdered form of uh, seaweed. Uh, but uh, there are many reasons why you'd use a liquid one. But uh, you often find that with the organic materials, they're very high in nitrogen and often a little bit low in the potash. And it's in when the plant is established, it's got its fruit, but it needs to ripen your fruit. You might find that uh, potash is probably very, very valuable. So just try uh, uh, either get a, a liquid, a foliar fertilizer, sorry, a foliar fertilizer uh, that's manufactured and it's got a high, and it's blended for fruit and vegetables. And you'll find that that extra K that's in there, or else you can just buy some sulfate or potash, read the directions, don't put on too much, more is not better. Okay, and how often should I do that? Oh, I think if you give it a quick fix, and depending if you put it on full strength, that should be uh, enough to get it going, and I'd repeat that uh, on a fortnightly basis. Okay. Thank you for your call, Jeff. Appreciate you ringing in to talk back gardening. 22 minutes past nine this Saturday morning. 1-300-222-891 is the telephone number. 0467-922-891 is the text line. Angela is on the line from Mile End. John, good morning, Angela. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. I've been meaning to call you for a while on this one. Um, my question is I've got a couple of bougainvilliers. I've got a very small backyard, and the glory of the yard is two beautiful bougainvilliers that are normally at this time of the year in in a lot of colour, a lot of glossy leaves. Um, but this year um, there's only about 10 flowers on, on the bougainvillier. All the leaves are completely yellow and all the veins are showing, but they're under some stress. And Here and there there's... Um, even dead bits of leaves. Curiously, um, as the fronds go over to the neighbour's side, I've noticed that all those fronds are completely bare with no leaves at all. So I don't know whether how that affects my side and what's happening with my plant. Have you got any ideas there? Well, Jamie, you're a very, very keen grower of bougainvilleas in terms of the colour they provide. Uh, does anything come to mind there? or <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You'd rather sort of talk landscaping. I know you're all right. No, we don't grow too many bougainvilliers up in the hills, actually. <laughs> yeah, you do need the heat, and once they're going, yeah, they're incredibly tough, but if you don't look after them, and you'll find often that because they are heat-loving plants, they're out in the sun, so you water them often. And I presume this one is in a container, Angela? Oh, it's in the ground. It's in the ground. And I water it quite a lot. It's always been very, very healthy. Yeah. People always comment when they come to my house how beautiful they always are. So yeah, just okay. Know. Well, it could be either you're, you're washing some of the nutrients away um, or probably uh, you've got alkaline soil and that being mm. the case, you'll find that they are plants that uh, prefer an acid soil and they need plenty of organic matter in the soil. And what happens is the soil, if it's uh, on the alkaline side, holds on to some of the nutrients, particularly iron. If you get some iron... Uh, chelates and spray it onto the foliage you should find within two weeks they'll green up quite considerably and if they do that's your problem and I'd be uh, uh, trying to on a regular basis give it some iron chelates until the plant recovers 
uh, mulching the plant is also important. Try and get as much organic matter into the top two or three centimetres of soil without disturbing the root system. Also, we'll just improve the ability of the plant system to be able to access the nutrients that it's needing. But I think it's just a straight nutrient deficiency. Thank you. We appreciate your time on Talkback Gardening, Angela. one three hundred triple two eight nine one. if you'd like to ask any sort of gardening question. But we're also particularly looking for landscaping questions this morning, John, because, of course, our special guest in the studio is Jamie McIlwain. So one three hundred triple two eight nine one. if you'd like to ask a question of Jamie. Uh, Monica's just texted in on zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one. John, and she says, I've used a variety of herbs as ground cover in my front garden, and it's the best thing she says she's ever done. And just a quick question, because this one's popped up a couple of times this morning. Um, our texter says, I've got a sprouting sweet potato. Is it too late to plant that? Oh, certainly, yes. Sweet potatoes need to be uh, almost pre-germinated by early September, and uh, so you've got a plant which is established Mm. by the time uh, soil temperatures get up to around about 16 degrees towards the end of September, and then it needs all that time to grow and produce uh, its flowers, set its seeds, and if you're lucky, uh, by autumn you might have <laughs> so we'd something miss that reasonable. <laughs> yeah, I think get get ready to start early next year. We've got a couple of country callers to go to now. It's great to have people ringing in from around the state on ABC Radio Talkback Gardening this Saturday morning. Uh, Don is on the line from Robe. Good morning to you, Don. Yeah, good morning. How are you? Well, indeed. And what's it like in Robe this morning? Uh, it's a little bit of a breeze, um, but not too bad. Now, you've got a question for John and maybe Jamie. What is it? Yes. How do you control white flies, both <laughs> in my glass house and outside? Okay. Jamie, do you want to have a go at that one or <laughs> flick it back to me? Well, I have great success with Success Ultra. Um, it's a product that John uh, re- talks about a lot. It's a translaminar uh, herbicide that um, is 99% organic. Um, gets into the leaf, you don't have to spray all the leaves, and that does tend to uh, mop up those little sap suckers. Um, as a quick fix, you can hose them off. I mean, you have to get sort of underneath the leaves and give them a good blast, but uh, they are prevalent at the moment. Yes, once they build up, it's very, very hard to get the population down again. And it's simply because uh, they lay lots of eggs and the little nymphs are on the backside of the leaf and uh, you've got to spray the backside of the leaf. And that's why the, the chemical you mentioned, Success Ultra, because it's... Uh, it's uh Translaminar. Translaminar is the word I was looking for, thanks. Uh, it's inside the leaf. And so uh, you spray the top side of the leaf, but uh, uh, when they suck in from the bottom side of the leaf, they have a little suck of the chemical and they get bowled over. It doesn't actually kill them. It stops them from feeding. It's, it's, it's an interesting, it's what I call one of the new age type of chemicals. And uh, uh, they're not designed to kill, but they're designed to control Hope that helps you, Don. Um, now, we, we've got another country caller too, John, to go to this morning, up at Lockheel. Chris from Lockheel. Good morning to you, Chris. Hello, Jamie and John. Yes, I'm um, building a house at uh, Moon to Bay. So think coastal. And I'm going to want to landscape my backyard, and I do want some chooks, and I want some trees, and I want some absolutely want some vegetables. How would I go about landscaping this? Maybe a website or something would be a good idea, but 
What, yeah. what do you suggest? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, without knowing your knowledge of um, how adept you are at uh, sort of thinking about or planning or plotting a garden, um, that's the kind of thing you do need to do. So um, having uh, an end game as in, you know, some sort of plan that you can uh, draw up yourself if you're able to or you can... Um, you know, ask a friend or even get involved in looking at one of our members for the um, uh, for the Master Landscapers of South Australia can assist you there. Um, but definitely making a plan to start with um, where the structures are, the pathways, any um, features you might want, um, designate areas and zones for, like you said, you want a productive area, you know, where's that going to be? Um, you know, vegetable gardens are things you want to go and pick, you know, if you can get them close to the kitchen when you're cooking at night time, you can just walk out, the, out, out, out without having to walk too far to go and pick and eat, you know, pick things to cook with. These are all things that the pre-planning of a garden like you've got uh, will give you a better result once you're done. Um, you're talking about the planning, and often people want to do their own landscape, but you're emphasising, and I thoroughly agree with you, the importance of planning beforehand. Can you get uh, a master landscape just by the hour or just to sort of draw up the plan and say, right, here's a, a lovely concept, uh, go to it? Yes, absolutely. So people can come out and do consultations, and you know, you could go as far as just having someone come out and spend a morning with you and... and and, and going through what I've just discussed, or you can engage the services of a landscaper or more in particular a landscape designer, and then they can design, talk to you about what you want, they can look at the property and then piece all that together and um, create a, um, a wonderful garden for you to design and you can you know build that over time. You can look at the projects and just chip away at it if you want. Yes, okay. Is Chris still there or is she's uh... I am, yes. yes. Okay, you got any more questions there, Chris? Uh, well, no, it was a fairly general sort of question, but I've got a shallow sandy soil on a sloping block. Should I be thinking about building that up somehow? Yeah, look, I can't emphasise enough how important uh, soils are. You, you, you could buy the hardiest plant in the world, but if you've got rubbish it's growing in, you can have a rubbish plant. So uh, organic matter is going to be your um, key word and trying to get in some of that organic matter into your soil even before you even start like get, uh, getting some in on mass spread it out rotary hoe it in or or even allowed even if you can't do that put it on top and let all the little the good fellas in the soil the microbes um do their work and that will enable you to have a um a wonderful garden and have plants that you can put in the ground and plant with confidence from a landscaping point of view if you've got to rely on containers to produce the fruit, the veggies and the flowers and the herbs that you want, how do you make it look attractive? Yeah, well, there's a huge array of different pots and planters that you can um, investigate from self-watering ones, from like the wicking beds that we, we talk about to um, the plain galvanised um, uh, raised garden beds, whether they be in a, a, a round shape or a square shape or a rectangular shape, and they could be, sh you know, short or high. Um, and you can position these uh, at right angles or in different parts of the garden um, and comprised with, um, you know, some large pots you might have, you can quite easily make a very productive garden without having any soil you know, in your backyard at all. In fact, there's a, there's a few gardens in the Harvest Festival that are similar to that. 
Okay. Um, just on that one, uh, as a point, uh, a raised garden bed. Uh, I noticed uh, there's some lovely uh, images of raised garden beds, but they're quite high. Uh, to me, a raised garden bed, if it's nicely uh, landscaped, is something that you, you sit on the edge of the lens of the raised garden bed. Uh, in terms of height, is there any general rule or it Look, doesn't really matter? There's not really. Um, I would say... The the standard galvanised beds or a lot of raised beds, whether they're you know made out of sleepers, are around the sort of sixty to eighty centimetres high mark, and they're good for coming out and you don't have to bend over; you can just come out, pick and and go inside. So they're great for your seasonal plants like your lettuces and things. And they also have a very like especially up in the hills where I work mostly, um, the ambient temperature of the soil is warmer at the earlier part of winter, and it stays warmer, you know. Uh, on, the, on the far side of uh, autumn as well so you get a bit of a, a length and growing period from um, from those raised beds uh, that so i'd use those larger ones to the come and go sort but, of but, um but you're suggesting weight waist high so you're not having to bend well, over. i think it's fabulous so yeah, you, you yeah, can yeah. you know whether you you know we might have some some listeners who are in wheelchairs they can wheel out there and just reach out and and and, and grab stuff or, or people who've got back issues who don't like bending over so for that reason the higher beds are, are, are brilliant um but then the lower ones like if you're wanting just let's say something 20 centimeters high like or that's one sleeper high you can have a bigger bed and grow your bigger things are going to spread like your pumpkins and zucchinis and cucumbers so allow them more room to sort of they don't need to be up so high they can sort of spread down lower but at least that'll enable you to get some a good growing media in those beds. Coming back to the pots, um, okay, so you can get different types, terracottas and you can get the lightweight pots and uh, heavyweight pots. Yeah. Um, should you try and sort of uh, um, have fewer types of pots? And in particular, how do you arrange the pots so that they don't, have, rather than put them in a straight line, which looks a little bit sort of ho-hum, uh, can you put, arrange them so that they do look attractive? Yes, well, I mean, all our listeners know, John, that you're a bit of a pot lover in your garden. <laughs> now, you can, you can over the years accumulate pots and they can, they can look average as they age. So lots of pots everywhere can look a bit um, dishevelled. So uh, growing Growing herbs or plants in pots is fabulous, but it's about how you're positioning them, cluster them in, in, in groups rather than have them spread everywhere. And you could also, where you're sort of looking at them, have some diversity in height from some taller ones sort of sitting at the back to some medium ones and lower ones. And that'll give you something interesting to look at rather than just a, um, you know, a, a great conglomeration of a, an assortment of pots that are strewn everywhere through your garden as having some method to the madness in, in the way you place them. And there'll be some of those to be able to look at during the Harvest Festival, no doubt. Yeah, there, absolutely there are, yeah. One texter has come in with a, a thought that uh, they want, they like the concept of having uh, your vegetables and your flowers mixed up with uh, the rest of the garden. But when it comes to, to things such as mulching, how do you go on there where sort of these kind of plants require a mulch and uh, that kind of a garden probably, uh, it, well, maybe it might benefit from a mulch but doesn't need it? Yeah, look, mulching is, um, is, is really important, whether it be plants in the ground or plants in a pot. Um, because that surface area, um, especially at this time of year, we get our hot, you know, summer days um, in here in South Australia. The, the you know the soil can just get to an extremely high temperature. So having that mulch over the the, the, the root zone of these plants, and most of these plants are surface rooters, so this their, their, their main their main root system is up quite high in the soil profile. Having that 
uh, being protected and insulated by mulch, whether it be um, you know a cottage mulch, a pine bark, pea straw, lucerne, um, is uh, vitally important. Now, Jamie, you're going to like this text that's come through on zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one because um, Ria from Glenelg North says, "I've just looked up the Harvest Gardens after hearing Jamie talk about it, and there are two near me, so I booked and I've now got my ticket." Says Ria. Oh, that's fabulous. Um, and there's some really good gardens over your way too. Um, uh, so, uh, in, in fact, so much so there's we had one one of our gardens last year on Gardening Australia and I think Sophie filmed during the week for Gardening Australia at another one of the gardens that's going to be in the Harvest Festival. So they're most certainly worth a look at. All right. So there's going to be at least 12 gardens out there and we're looking at the 11th and 12th of February, which is only three weeks away. Correct. How do people... Find out where they are, and more importantly, how do they get tickets so that they can turn up? Yes, absolutely. So uh, if you just Google the Harvest Garden Festival or even go into the Open Gardens SA website and go onto events, you'll see uh, we've got a whole um, uh, website sort of dedicated to information about the gardens. We've got uh, pictures and garden notes on every single garden. So you can pre-purchase tickets there through Try Booking. It's $20 for a four-garden pass or $50 for a whole weekend pass, which is fabulous value. Um, alternatively, if you don't uh, um, or don't, can't do that, we do have uh, card readers and a, um, a cash payment system at each and every of the gardens. So uh, you can you can purchase your tickets on the day at the, at each of the gardens. All right, um, so, but for, for four gardens, it only costs $10, was it? It's $20 for but four gardens, so $5 $20. a garden. Okay, right. And more importantly, everyone, the Open Gardens SA, as you would know, is a voluntary organisation, so we've got a, a, a fabulous dedicated group of people who volunteer their time to put all this together for you, as is the Harvest Garden Festival. Uh, all the proceeds, 100% of the proceeds, are going to Oz Harvest. So uh, Oz Harvest uh, look after hungry people all over... Uh, all over Australia, in particular South Australia, and um, they also uh, try and uh, recoup as much good food going to waste as well. So a fabulous cause. So 100% of the proceeds are going to Oz Harvest for this weekend. It's a lovely idea, and I would presume that uh, many people would like to be able to either um, choose a small number or see the whole lot if they wanted to. Yeah, well, that's the thing. When, when, when you go to these gardens, you're going into someone's garden and a part of that garden is the vegetable garden. So you'll come and see the vegetable garden and you'll say, all right, well, here it is. Don't just turn around and walk away saying, seeing that you've seen it. Now, as a professional landscaper of 30 years, I go to these gardens and I learn something from these people. What soil have you used? How have you drained this? How do you irrigate it? And, you know, there are so many questions that you should have for these people who are there to answer those so the, the gardeners will actually be there absolutely talking. yeah and we've got we've got a, quite a few we've got a few professionals as well um roger carth here who comes on your show yes. john he actually has designed and built one of the gardens and will be on site all weekend to talk to people about what he's done um there's another there's another couple of landscapers who are who are, who are also there um and let me tell you some of these private uh, private gardeners probably know more than us about how to grow these things, you know, the best. So there's a wealth of knowledge there for people to, um, to you know, to learn from and to talk about. So, and are there lectures as well on some Yeah, so if you're into composting, for instance, one of the um, the garden owners at Strathalban, he actually went to the Burnley Horticultural College to study the Berkeley method of hot composting. So this is a method whereby choosing the right materials, you can have a compost ready to go in a matter of weeks. Um, Katia Hogendorn is an entomologist, so an okay. insect scientist. Yes. She's known worldwide, and she's going to be talking about native bees 
Um, that's over in Semaphore um, Community Garden. And we've also got someone talking about soils over there um, and also bush food as well, um, in particular Murnong. Okay, so, so there won't if, be a lecture at every garden. No, if you go to the website, there's actually, there's actually um, all these extra activities at these gardens are also listed. So and also the times there's uh, the Country Women's Association or a couple of gardens have stalls. So there's a lot going on beyond just the vegetable gardens themselves. Sounds fabulous. So much to get involved with with these Harvest Gardens being open. You can get on the website or, or uh, directly with Harvest Gardens. Google it, as Jamie has said, or go to the Open Gardens website and you can link in from there. Mason is patiently wa- waiting on the line from Mansfield Park. Good morning, Mason. Good morning. What's your question, uh, please? Look, yeah, well, my question's not about landscaping. It's about using... Um, bark off a gum tree as a mulch around fruit trees even in pots is that okay yeah quite that? okay yeah do, is it sort of uh, stringy bark or is it just the ordinary sort of uh, um, sheet bark i well i'm not 100 percent sure but i would say it's sheet bark because yeah. it comes off in sheets right and uh, some of them are quite long so i just take them in half but i don't chip them up or anything break them up just they're about six inches foot long sort of thing. Yeah, put them on the ground and jump on them two or three times so they get a little bit yeah, smaller. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, make them a little bit smaller. Yeah, yeah. i do that. Yeah, no, do that. Because when you buy mulch, um, it's, it's basically hogged up bark. Uh, the outer sections of trees. Sometimes it's more than that, it's the whole tree itself. But, yeah, that's good mulch. And what you're doing okay. is you're putting it onto the surface. It's it's uh, uh, stopping a rise in temperature. It's holding in the moisture, stopping the weeds from growing. But uh, bark makes a very, very good uh, uh, mulch. The important thing is to have uh, the pieces not in great big pieces but in little small chunky pieces so that they come together to act as a, an effective mulch. Good on you, Mason. Go for it with the bark is the Thank answer you. from John Lamb. Um, let's go out to the countryside now. In fact, let's go across a couple of golfs, John, to Wyala. And May is on the line. Good morning, May. Good morning. What's your question? Oh, just in regards to scarifying my lawn, I was meant to do it around about October, November, I think, but I wanted the garden to look nice for Christmas. And it's quite thatchy. The lawn's beautiful. It's a kakuyu. Kikuyu, yes. Okay. Well, yeah, it's very, very rampant. Uh, would have been with yes. the hot, hot weather, and I suspect mm. it'll keep on growing. Jamie, would you scarify, and how long would you continue scarifying into the season? Ooh, I, I think from what, what I'm hearing with the weather, it's not going to be overly hot. So yes, you could. Um, with kikuyu, what I love to do in in late winter is actually cut it down to like literally down to the ground. So there's like if you can see soil, you've won. If your mower can get it down that far. <laughs> Fertilise the, the pants off it and you'll have this fluorescent green, lovely lawn that'll see you through summer. Um, Kaikuya um, can get a little bit thatchy. It's not as bad as buffalo. Um, but uh, yes, yes, you could do that, actually. Um, I'd give it a scarify. Make sure you keep the water up to it because you're disturbing the root system. And yep. um, you can give it a, a, you know, maybe one of the seaweed um, options rather than trying to force it into growth. Um, one of the seaweed options, a slow-release seaweed tonic yeah. might be the I mean, it, grow, it grows beautiful. I've got an absolute... Wonderful lawn. Yeah, Kaikuyu's um, got a bad name. I really like it. 
And if you yes, ask, if you ask a lot, of, it is. It's very, mm. it's, it's good. Would you believe it's our most popular lawn that's grown here in South Australia? Yeah, it, it does get a bad rap. I think I think yes. it um, I think it's a really good lawn and um, also good great value for money when you well, look at the different. Would you believe um, in this week's Good Gardening newsletter, the lawn blog put together by Stephen Palm is all about? Would you believe Kikuyu <laughs> and oh, what? Uh, and he's looking at the different kind of thing of. Uh, uh, grasses but is kikuyu a friend or a foe and he explains how you can maximize the value of a kikuyu and as you mentioned jamie it's got a bad rap simply because when it does escape it's a real feral but uh, there's no reason if you keep on top of it within the the flower beds that i have i just keep on top of it all the time pull out the runners and and it's fine beautiful Mm. yeah and and, uh, just a a plug for the good gardening newsletter it's absolutely free Mm. all you've got to do is uh, Subscribe. Subscribe, yeah, and it turns up every Friday. And it's uh, just topical gardening information. And uh, also uh, events such as the uh, Garden Festival will be, have details there. In the next couple of weeks, we'll be featuring uh, the Garden Festival anyway. Thank you for your call from okay. Whaler this morning, May. It's lovely to hear from you. Let's go out to Murray Bridge now. And Jane's on the line. Good morning, Jane. Good morning, everyone. Um Mine is part landscaping. I have a front yard that isn't terribly uh, deep, and I'd like to put a feature tree in the centre of it in a pot, and I'd like to have an avocado tree because I thought if I have a tree that doesn't uh, lose its leaves in the winter, it's going to look rather green all year round. And this is down at Murray Bridge? Yes. And you want uh, an avocado as a feature tree in a container? Yes. Oh, goodness gracious me. <laughs> I'm going to toss that one at Jamie. <laughs> Ooh, um, if you looked after it, it's possible. Avocados uh, certainly like free draining soil, which you'll give it. Um, my concern would be if you didn't keep the moisture up to it, 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 it you know, the, the burning possibility of it is, is going to um, be quite high. They're quite fickle in their root system in their first few years as they establish too. So possibly um, one of the smaller ones. Uh, maybe one of the dwarf ones. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I would not be putting an avocado in a container unless you had an extremely large, large container, one. probably two metres wide, and put a permanent watering system on it during summer. <laughs> yeah. If you take a look at the avocado, it's got sort of very, very large, soft leaves, and it yeah. thrives in hot weather because of its ability. It has a very extensive root system, and it sucks <laughs> in the moisture, pushes it out through the leaves, keeps itself mm. cool. And to mm-hmm. do that in a container, um, Jamie, could we think of something that uh, maybe is nice for uh, uh, a front garden, a feature in a in a front garden uh, that will grow in a container and uh, not uh, need too much water? Yeah, well, I mean, your obvious ones are looking at you know things like your olives, pomegranates would would do quite well out there um, at Murray Bridge. Yes, a pomegranate, mm-hmm. I think, is very, very attractive, apart from the, the little fruits it has, or the, the large fruits it has. Yeah, even the flowers. The flowers almost look fake. They're just this, this amazing <laughs> red, plasticky looking. They're just stunning to look at. They're supremely tough. Um, if, um, 
I can I ask about the type of soil to go in? I've, I'm never quite sure. This is a very large pot I have. It's about a metre by a metre, so it is quite large. Yep. Or Actually, it's more than that. It's probably a metre and a half wide. Uh, the soil into a large pot like that, would I mix good quality uh, soil from a soil place as well as um, mulch and and uh, potting soil? Or how yeah, do you you're going to need, that? first and foremost, the potting mix is, is the most important important thing to start with um, because that's going to give you your drainage um, and now the potting mix line isn't going to uh, maintain that plant uh, for, the, for, a, for a long period of time so that's where particularly in the top maybe 50% of that soil profile you need to bring in some organics in the form of you know compost etc so um, you do need some to give that soil media some guts um, and that organic matter is going to do that um, but okay. at the same time you can't just put normal soil in pots because it just gets too heavy and won't drain well Oh, I see. Okay, so the three together. Yeah, and some slow release fertilizer. Put you know um, some some prills um, um, and uh, and mulch as well. Um, yeah, and, and and also you definitely want to be looking at things like um, some of your uh, liquid um, stimulants and um, seaweed extract uh, products to yeah. um, to get those plants oh. and soil sort of. You know, okay, yeah. Yeah. thank you for that. Jane, well, let's bounce off Jane's uh, comments about a large container and come back to the concept of a raised garden bed. Now, many people would like to have a raised garden bed, a large raised garden bed, but they think, oh, goodness, it's going to take about 20 bags of potting mix, <laughs> and that's not the way to go. How do you uh, uh, perhaps maximise uh, uh, the value of a large container, a large raised garden bed, without having to spend a fortune on what goes in it? Yeah, well, I mean... A lot of these raised beds take, you know, many cubic metres of soil and you equate that to bags of potting mix, a 25 litre bag, you're looking at a lot of uh, a big investment. Um, so you can buy a bulk potting mix from or raised garden bed mix from a lot of the Santa Metal yards. Can I stop you there? Because there's a difference between uh, uh, what's in the potting mix bags and uh, what you'd buy as a raised garden mix. Correct. So the, 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 the potting mix you'll buy hopefully will have um, all your fertilizers and wetting agents and things in it if it's got the five stars or ticks with it um the potting mix you buy is a fairly sterile form so it's just going to get that's a basic potting mix so um again like what i was saying to the last call you need to you'll need to add to that you need to add some um, organic matter um fertilizers um and treat that um Yesterday, when we were chatting on the phone, you <laughs> gave me a lovely suggestion of how you can fill the bottom of a large, uh, uh, a tall raised garden bed, uh, not, but not necessarily with, with potting mix or yes. w with raised garden mix. Yeah, absolutely. So just, um, again, you know, looking at the mass that you need to put into um, the, these beds, you could certainly, if you've got a 80 centimetre tall raised bed, you could just buy some bales of pea straw and stick them in the bottom and sort of jam the sides, open one up and jam the sides so there's no voids in there and then put the potting mix on top. So you're halving the amount of potting mix you actually need to purchase initially. Now what's going to happen in time is the, the pea straw will eventually break down which will be, you know, help with um, 
the, the 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 potting media in there and you can just top it up as you go along so that's a good and cheap way to fill the sort of the void i suppose or if you've got any extra bricks or rubble that's going to help with drainage i suppose if you want to do that now we're just about out of time this saturday morning so if you would like a free copy of the abc gardening australia magazine now is the time to call one three hundred triple two eight nine one if you'd like a copy of the latest gardening australia magazine one three hundred triple two 891 go to the phones now and we might be able to squeeze in another call before 10 o'clock if we're lucky john lamb uh, you're listening to talk back gardening on abc radio south australia and broken hill john lamb lee radford and jamie mcgillwain with you this morning john let's take a look at what jamie is organizing and i compliment you jamie for sort of the concept of bringing together uh uh the value of growing fruit and vegetables. So many people want to do it, and there's so many open gardens out there which are lovely and ornamental, but to be able to say, for those of you who love your fruit and your veggies, uh, here is a special festival for you. Now, that's on in three weeks' time, and uh, we can, you, people can uh, book for that right right now. But you're also very much involved with uh, other festivals. And last year, you had a wonderful festival of landscapes. Is it possible that that might reoccur? It is, and it's going to be reoccurring sooner than you expect, John. In fact, April this year. So we've got a lineup of 10 professionally designed and built gardens, again, all over Adelaide. Um, they vary in size and the landscapers and designers will be on site all weekend to talk about um, what and how they have constructed these incredible gardens. Okay, so that's uh, it's festival time, and just uh, just very briefly, again, just how to access the uh, Harvest Garden Festival. So yes, again, you can go straight onto the Open Gardens SA website and uh, just tap the event section or even... Um, uh, more simple than that, just Google Harvest Garden Festival and off you go. And Jamie, one of our texters has just asked, what's the name of your company, please? Oh, it's Hills Classic Gardens. Right. There you go, Rhea, on 0467922, Hills Classic Gardens. Yeah. So I think uh, I'd like to thank you very much for your contribution this morning, Jamie, and sort of the efforts you put into uh, the open garden scheme and, and making it all happen. And as people like you, I think it just uh, uh, is providing a wonderful benefit for home gardeners. Uh, mm -hmm. Lee, just, just coming back to uh, the garden itself, many people say, is it possible to reuse your potting mix? Now, um, we've been saying that uh, all the hot weather is gone, and we're not really saying that. We're just sort of saying that the, we're not going to get heat waves, but we will get spikes of heat. And there's a wonderful opportunity of using this heat by solarisation. Solarisation. That's where you uh, mm. uh, you just put plastic on the soil. So if you've got your tomato area last, uh, you're going to plant next year, you'd put uh, you'd, you'd loosen the soil, uh, moisten it, put some black plastic on it, and make sure that it's nice and sealed. And after a couple of weeks, uh, the, the heat actually the cooks all the little uh, um, fungi and bacteria and things mm. like that. But from a potting point of view if you've got old potting mix now is the time to get your old potting mix and find some rubbish bins the garbage bin, bin mm. size and and uh, uh, half fill or th one third fill your your bags with with moist 
re uh, old potting mix and put it out on on your pavers and you put them down flat so that there's just a layer of uh, maybe a two to three centimetre layer of soil inside the garbage bag and you leave it there for a week or if, if we don't get some hot, hot weather, you might have to leave it there for a couple of weeks. Mm. But it will solarise your soil and it's ready to go again. Now, bear in mind that uh, you've got to then start to put on some organic matter and you've also got to be able to put in the nutrients and things like that. But mm. it's a good way of reusing your potting mix. Great advice, John Lamb, as always. And we've got a couple of winners for our Gardening Australia magazines this morning. Two Debbies, in fact. Deb from Turak Gardens is one winner and Debbie from Murray Bridge is the other. These copies of the Gardening Australia magazine are on your way. And just quickly, John Lamb, in the garden this weekend, what are you doing or what do you recommend others do? Well, I think many people will be sort of mopping up after the hot, hot weather and probably a good time if you've got lots of containers is to give them a really good soaking and uh, the material you put in you put in your seaweeds and a little bit of nutrition and you'll find that they'll respond by very very healthy growth it's a good time to actually put in some late vegetables uh, be selective but things like lettuce and uh, uh, the current come cut and come again type vegetables uh, i think uh, they would be worthwhile planting and also look for some quick maturing tomatoes, cherry tomatoes in particular, or the hybrid varieties. Probably stay away from the heritage varieties at the moment. They take a little bit longer to uh, come to fruition, but I think uh, a wonderful opportunity to put in a, a second crop of your vegetables. And it's time to say good gardening.